I had no idea what you were going to sing, but I knew and the way the Lord works that it would it would pretty much be what I'm preaching about and, and really that song gives us a glimpse uh, really into Revelation 4 this morning, um, that throne room in heaven. And of course, we don't fully understand it. Um, we won't fully understand it. You know, even when we're in heaven, we won't just understand all things. Uh, we'll just understand them better. <laughs> but we won't understand all things because we're not, we're not God. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just overjoyed with the reality every day. But, you know, I don't have to know every single thing about everything to enjoy something. I, I'm grateful for that. I don't have to have everything figured out, everything explained for me to get in on the, the joy uh, that, that comes my way. And I want you to certainly know that uh, you don't have to have everything because you're never going to figure out everything about God. Uh, but what God has told us in His Word that we can fully understand, uh, that's enough. And there's great joy and peace uh, that comes out of that understanding. And so this morning, uh, as we are in Revelation 4, uh, this is from really from Revelation 4 to the end of that book, chapter 22, is about the things that will come. And so we're going to keep that in mind as we go through that. But this morning specifically, I want to preach on this subject. And that is that normal is not coming back, but Jesus is. Normal's not coming back. The normal that was 2019 is history. It ain't coming back. Jesus is coming back. And as a church, and I see it all the time in our in the emails that come my way and flood my you know my mailbox email box from a whole lot of people who get paid good money to write books and think a lot of things, and that's their goal. We want to make we want to make the church what it was in 2019. It ain't coming back. That was a watershed moment. This is the days of Noah. There is a falling away. And what we are experiencing now, what we have experienced, is part of God's separation process. It's not to be looked on as a bad thing. It's to be looked on as a Christian in the light of Romans 8.28. That all things are working together for good. Let me tell you, the two and a half years that we've experienced thus far has been a blessing to liberty. It has been a blessing to this church. Our faith has grown. We've opened new, God's opened up new opportunities and doors to ministry here. It's not a bad thing. And, and by the way, we can't do a thing in the world about it. We can't go back. But we can move forward by the grace of God. And whatever it is that God has in store for us, God's making a way. He's making provision. So we need to understand, we cannot go back to 2019. We can't. We have to live in the present and the future is on the way. Normal is not coming back. Normal ain't coming back. But Jesus is. And we need to fix our minds and our hearts on that reality, that truth. So let that be, you know, the syllabus for the sermon this morning. The umbrella that encompasses what we're going to see in the Word this morning. And I pray that you will be encouraged and strengthened in it and God be glorified. So let's stand to our feet, Revelation 4, as we begin in verse 1 of Revelation 4. 
After these things, now we've, we've talked about those things. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, Come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne sat in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones and on those thrones... I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeding lightnings and thunderings and voices, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. And the living the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest. Day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Father, I pray this morning that God you would help us to realize the great blessing here. But Lord, also the reality that Things are fixed, that you are orchestrating events in our culture today that are in accordance with your timetable, that is uh, in accordance with uh, the time frame that you have in mind for these things to be accomplished. God, help us not to get sidetracked or discouraged, but to be faithful to the mission at hand. Help us to live authentic lives on mission fulfilling your will and call on our individual life and may you be glorified God and may you teach us this morning God put your words in my mouth Lord help us to receive this truth with a glad heart today for it is in Jesus name we pray amen and you may be seated now In Revelation chapter 1, in verse 19, John is told this, to write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So Revelation is a, is a book, it is a, it is a letter that encapsulates the things that John had experienced in the past, things that were going on presently when he was writing this, and then things that are going to come in the future. From chapter 4 through chapter 22 is the future aspect. There is a lot of, of figurative language, very colorful language, oftentimes prophetic language is used that way, 
And sometimes we might ask the question, why? And, 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 and to me, my explanation of that is that God chose to write a letter that would transcend any culture, any time of history, any decade, any century, any millennia. God chose to write a prophecy that could be discerned regardless of your culture, of, of your background, of a point of view that you're coming, you could discern these things. And some of these things were masked and we didn't understand them at the time. And quite honestly, when we go through the book of Revelation, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, as you were reading this letter, there are many things in there that, that would seem impossible. How, how everybody in the world would witness certain events. But we understand in our culture today that that's not impossible at all. I mean, you know, you, you can go out in, in, in the culture today and do something very stupid and, and the whole world will see it. They can see it instantly. And, and it can be saved and it can be archived. So it's, it's not something to grasp today that, that the world will not know about these things. Whereas 50 years ago, we wouldn't understand how that would work, but we see it every day in our lives. There are many different platforms, many different ways in which those things can come to pass. So today as we look in chapter 4, there is a lot of language in here that describes a lot of different things. And one of those things is heaven. And it describes it in a way that, again, regardless of where you come from, you could relate to these things because they're described in a way certainly the known world could relate to, through, through animals, through, through precious stones and things of that nature. Uh, so keep that in mind as, as we go through this. Now, I believe chapter 4 begins with what we call the rapture of the church. Now I want you to understand, because for some reason we want, to, we want to just divide and be controversial about something that I don't really see as a controversial thing. We, we talk about the word rapture, rapture and how it's not in the Bible and this kind of stuff, but the word that is used to describe this event that Paul writes about actually in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, in the Latin, there is a word that's used called raptura. And it's from that word raptura that we get our modern day word rapture. So if we, were, if we were all speaking Latin and we had a Latin Bible, you would find the word raptura there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which, you know, again, is the word we get rapture from. But the word that is translated in 1 Thessalonians 4 that speaks of this event is translated in two words in our modern-day English language, caught up. Now, it's important that you understand that because I hope to show you that this is not something some preacher made up, and this is something that is going to happen. When we talk about the return of Jesus Christ, it is a twofold process in that the church has this dispensation that we're currently in, and after the church age is gone, what you and I are enjoying right now, when that ends, and it's going to end, then God is going to once again turn His attention to the nation of Israel as a whole. The church will not be here. We're going to be gone because we're known as the bride of Christ. And there's going to be a great uh, reception in heaven because Jesus is going to get His bride. And then His attention will be turned to the nation of Israel where at some point in the future, Jesus will rule and reign physically, physically, as the king of the Jewish people. That, that's going to happen. Now, 
We might have a hard time understanding that, but there are other cultures that absolutely believe Jesus Christ is going to step his physical foot again on the Mount of Olives, walk across the Kidron Valley, and through the eastern gate of the temple. And some of the people that believe that are, are the Muslim people. Because when they sacked the city of Jerusalem, they purposefully planted a, a grave, planted, they put, uh, made sure there would be a graveyard along the way so that if Jesus walked that way, he would defile himself, and they bricked up the eastern gate into the temple. They took it very seriously that these things would happen. Now, I just want to remind you that if the Lord Jesus raptures his church, he's going to physically come back to this earth, stand on the Mount of Olives, walk across the Kidron Valley. I do not think, I do not think 1,400-year-old bricks are going to stop it. I just don't think that's going to happen. But there are people that believe that these things will indeed take place. What about you? See, John begins this process. He says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, speaking, saying, Come up here, and I'm going to show you all these things that are to come. Now, I believe... In chapter 4, this is a veiled reference to what Paul wrote about in 1 Thessalonians 4. Not everybody believes that. But whether you believe it or not, that does not take away from what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4 and, and, uh, and, and in the second letter to Thessalonians. It doesn't change any of that. I believe this is a veiled reference because we find that whenever the heavens open up, and there's four or five times that this happens in the Word of God. Whenever the heavens open up, one of two things or both things are going to happen. Either judgment is coming down or blessing is coming down, but something happens when heaven opens up. And in this case, heaven's, heaven opens up, the church is raptured up, the blessing. Why? To remove the church from the wrath of God, the judgment of God that's coming down. I believe in the rapture of the church. I haven't always believed that. I was an amillennial guy for a long, long time. But I came to this understanding through searching, through, through, through testing what I thought uh, I believed. And, and I just want to be honest with you. If you read through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, there is an obvious event that is going to take place before this rule on physical earth of Jesus Christ. It is, it is there. And so I want to show that to you this morning, okay? Because again, normal is not coming back. We do not have the luxury of sitting back in a rocking chair of grace, headed to the sweet by and by, comfortable, and trying to win people to Jesus via proxy. I'm glad that day is over. We're going to realize that in the culture we're living in today and the culture that our children, my children are growing up with, there's going to be more and more confrontation to the people of God. And that's fine. That's fine. Let the just stand. Let those who are righteous and faithful live by faith. Let's, 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 let, let's let it be true. Let's let it be known. We have the truth. And it sets men free. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is writing to comfort these folks with this, 
with this reality that they believe those who have died before the coming of Christ, they're lost forever. That's the context in which Paul writes. And he says, and we'll back up to verse 13 so we get it here. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will, be, will by no means precede those who are asleep. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's that word, raptura in the, in the Latin. We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now the word that is used there for caught up, that Greek word is a word harpazo, and it means to be rescued. It means for God to come in hurriedly and take us away, to rescue us. Okay, well, if God's coming to rescue us, then the logical question would then be to rescue us from what? What is it then that God is rescuing? What is Paul talking about that he's coming to rescue us from? Isn't that a logical question? If that's what the word means, what are we being rescued from then? Well, Paul begins to elaborate on this in the second letter that he wrote to Thess Thessalonica. If you turn a few pages over there to the second epistle there of Thessalonians, then we find in verse 3, Paul says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Verse 6, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. So I want you to pause for a moment. God is saying because of your faithfulness as a church, there is coming a day in which God is going to repay those who troubled you and persecuted you with what? Tribulation. Now, in the context of that, we have to assume then that if God is repaying for our suffering with tribulation, then obviously we're not going to be there when God doles out the just payment for sin. That's just a logical conclusion to come to. Think about it. Think about it. That's just a logical conclusion that we come to, that if God is going to repay those who have persecuted his church with tribulation, then if we were there, would we not be part of that tribulation? It would not make sense, would it? It would not make sense for a holy and a just God to tell you and me, members of the church, young and old, alike, I'm going to repay with tribulation, but you're going to be there, so you're going to endure the tribulation too, but be of good cheer. That's not what God said. That's totally against the character of God. And, and, if, you don't get, and if that was it, we'd have enough. But he doesn't stop there. He talks about it in verse 6, that this tribulation, this affliction that's going to come. And he says in verse 7, And to give you who were troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These, not the church, 
not the righteous, these, the unrighteous, those who have rebelled against God, rejected the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in this present age of grace. Those who have rejected that. He says, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes, verse 10, in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you has believed. So what is He talking about? He's talking about 1 Thessalonians 4. He's talking about those of us who are here when Jesus Christ returns. He's not coming to the earth. Harpazo, he's rescuing us from danger. He's, we're going to meet him where? In the clouds. We're going to meet him in the air. And we're going to forever be with the Lord. This is just a continuation of that. So in verse 11, therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he goes on. Again, we act like there's no evidence out here for this. That's why in chapter 4, that to me is a veiled reference to this rapture with John. He's saying, come up here. And nowhere in Revelation is it ever, you, you never find the church in Revelation again. The only time it's even mentioned again is in Revelation 22 when it's just a, a commentary to John saying, hey, give this letter to the churches. That's the only other point. It's the only other time it's mentioned. There is no church in Revelation 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. We are in heaven. We are in heaven around the throne of God. We are experiencing the culmination of faith. When there will be no need for faith, there will be no need for hope anymore. The only thing we'll need in heaven at that reception, the only thing we're going to experience from all through eternity is worship of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love and the peace of Almighty God. In chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gathering together to Him, we ask you, not to be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now this is where it starts to get even more interesting. What does he say about this in verse 4? He said, Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Has this happened yet? No. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And he says, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. He mentions the word, you know now what is restraining him. Who? The Antichrist, the lawless one. What is, what is restraining? He goes on and he says that. He says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. <laughs> Amen. The spirit of Antichrist is here. Already at work, he says in verse 7, only he, capital H, 
So who are we referring to here? We're referring to the Holy Spirit. Until he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. How are you going to get the Holy Spirit that indwells every blood-bought believer out of this present earth? Through the window of heaven. Through the rapture of the church. Now, you may think it's bad now. And there are people that would call the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior who are experiencing much more difficult than you and I are. All over the world. There are people that are losing their life for their faith. Dark places on the earth. But my friend, no matter how dark it may be, can you imagine a world where God is not restraining evil through God's people? Let me tell you something. We got this clamoring bunch of group up here in Washington and around our nation today. They clamor, they hate the church, they despise the church, they don't want the church to be around. They're going to get exactly what they want. And they'll regret it. Every moment, every second of it. Can you imagine a world without the restraining power of the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine when this event takes place? The reality of the world, how it's going to look, how it will be shaped. We're talking about millions of people gone. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, not even a blink of an eye, but just the thought, the, 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 the nerve firing to tell the eye to blink. Can you imagine a world like that? Can you imagine a world where, I mean, you think you got supply chain issues now. You think you got manufacturing issues now. You think flying is a problem now. What will it look like when millions of people are left? What will it look like when you're, when you're riding down I-75 and people in cars are no longer there? People in tractor trailers are no longer there. Can you ma imagine the mass calamity and chaos of an event like that? Airplanes that have no pilot. Trains that have no engineer. Hospitals that have no doctors, no nurses. Can you imagine a world like that? What will it look like? How would you even begin to navigate that to just clear up the carnage of a moment like that? Let me tell you, I've been in some traffic jams due to some, some crashes before. Nothing like this. We can't even imagine it. Now, what will, what will be left? People who hate God. And there'll be plenty of government structure left. We may not have 535 up there in Washington. There might be 531 or something. I don't know. But I can assure you that the majority of the governments around the world will be completely intact. Minus a few bureaucrats here or there. I can assure you nobody at the World Economic Forum will be gone. Nobody at the World Bank. I'm sure the Treasury Secretary still have his job. Hey, just inspecting the fruit, folks. 
Just inspecting the fruit. Just calling it what it is. What will that world look like? And would you want to, would you want to live in it? Now, now, the Bible goes on and tells us that after his church is gone, in Revelation 4 there, there's this picture here of a great reception that takes place in heaven. And we're going to come back to this because at the end of the day, is this rational? Is it reasonable? Is it reasonable? What I just laid out, is that reasonable? Is it rational? Or do you think I'm crazy? Don't answer that, but you may think I'm crazy. You're talking about off the cuff, man, I put off the in cuff. I mean, yeah. But we'll examine, is this reasonable? See, Revelation 4 tells us that there's a great reception that goes on here. That there's a throne, and there's one who sits on that throne. And there are those that are around that throne that are worshiping God. And there's a lot of language there that's, that's, that's kind of strange. Creatures that have eyes in the front and the back and, and wings and, 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 and you know, basically they're seraphim. If you, when we sang holy, holy, holy today, that's what we were singing, Revelation 4. That's really what we were singing. The cherubim and the seraphim, the, the, the angels of God that are always quick to do the will of God. They're, they're powerful, but yet they're humble to do the will of God. They're, they're intelligent with the face like a man to reason and to make decisions, and they have the swiftness of an eagle, eagle to always do precisely and quickly what God commands them to do. And yet they worship God constantly. We notice in heaven that there is this rainbow that is complete and it's around the throne of God. Now you understand that uh, God gave a promise to us that uh, he would never ever judge the world again with water. He would never flood the water again. And every time after a storm we see a rainbow, it's God's promise that it might have got bad, but it wasn't as bad as it was. And it's a promise to us. And in, and in heaven we see a complete rainbow. Because, they're, because, folks, it's over. For us, it's over. The trials, the tribulations, the suffering, the loss, the pain, the heartache, the tears, the regret, it's over, folks. It's over. And we get this complete rainbow around the throne of God to remind the bride of Christ, the church that's there before that throne, there is no more suffering. There is no more death. There is no more sin. There's no more separation anymore. It is complete. We are at home. We have got the prize in the throne room of God. Notice there it mentions in uh, Revelation 4 that there is this, this uh, sea before the throne, but it's, it's fixed and it's glass. It's crystal. There's, there's no rocking. There's no agitation. No separation. It's complete. Nothing to trouble us, nothing to fear us, make us fearful. Just peace and the love of God. There is absolutely no more struggle. The promise has been received. We are celebrating with the bridegroom. And we will be forevermore. The 24 elders on the throne, a lot of speculation that that's uh, representative of the Old Testament and the New Testament, 12 from the Old, 12 from the New. I don't fully know all of that, and, but I don't have to. 
Let me tell you, when I get to heaven, if it's a different shade of green than I thought it was, Brother Jim, I'm going to be fine with it. If I, if I thought a sardis stone was uh, supposed to be a little bit darker red, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to care. Folks, this side of glory, coming into a place like this, it ought to be warm up. It ought to be warm up for worship and praise and adoration. And, I mean, Paul said that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has entered into the thought of a man what God has in store for you and I. I mean, as much as it's described in these colorful ways by John, we cannot fathom with our finite minds what heaven is. But let me tell you, what, but what I know it is, it's good. It's great. And there's this great reception. The church, the bride of Christ, there with the bridegroom, and what a reunion day that will be. What a reunion day that will be. Our friends, our family, the, the saints of old, they will be there. We will all be there together. And there'll never be no parting no more. That's his promise. So I want to ask you, is this reasonable? Is, is this reasonable to believe in the rapture of the church? Is, is this reasonable? And if you say, well, I, you know, I don't know, Brother Steve. Somebody else might could be as, uh, as, as passionate about that, and they might come from a different angle. Let me tell you why I think it's reasonable. First of all, because there is a clear outlining of this, I believe, in Scripture. But second of all, I believe God has given us a pattern for this in the Old Testament. I believe God has given us a pattern of this very event in the Old Testament. And it takes place early on. You take your copy of the Word of God and you go there in Genesis and you'll see it. See, Genesis 5 is kind of known as the obituary section of the Bible because with the exception of one person in that chapter, it's the same, it's the same epitaph. They lived, they had some kids, and then kids drove them crazy and they died. That's what it says in a roundabout way. <laughs> Except for one person. You find in, in Genesis chapter 5 that there's a man and his name is Enoch. And the Bible says that he lived 65 years and he had a son and that child's name was Methuselah. Methuselah would have a son. His name was Lamech. And Lamech would have a son and his name was Noah. So Methuselah was the grandfather of Noah. Enoch was his great-great-grandfather. Now why is this important? 
because the name Methuselah means that when I die, it will come. When I die, it will come. And the name Noah, the, 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 the birth of Noah was special to his, his, his uh, family. They knew that God was going to use Noah in a very special way, that, that he would, he would uh, uh, destroy really the curse. And, 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 and they said this of Noah, and we find that Noah was a man who walked with God, who loved God, that, that he found grace in the sight of God. And we find that Enoch, after he had this child, the Bible says that Enoch walked with God for 300 years. Man, let me tell you something. If having children, if being a father will not make you get it together, then I, I don't know what will. The reality is that the responsibility about falls to a man as, as the father of children and the head of his household, that ought to make all of us realize we got to get it together. It's time to start walking with God. See, in our day and age we live in, everybody's playing church. Not everybody, but a lot of people are just playing church. It's just a bunch of mamby-pamby stuff. And what we need is Christians who understand and can understand the times in which we live in. And we got to start getting up in the morning and putting our big britches on, our big boy, our big girl britches on, and realize we're here to do battle for the Lord because the time is drawing near. He walked with God for 300 years and then something happened. The Bible says that God took him. He was translated. He never had a funeral. Never. He, he was ushered into heaven. Enoch never died. Much like Elijah. Ushered into God's presence. Never tasted a mortal death. Now here's why that is a picture of the events that are coming in the future. God gave the people of that day a witness through a man named Methuselah who represents the long-suffering of God. He's the oldest man to ever live. And it, and it was when he died that the floodwaters would come. And the man lived longer than anybody else. Why? Because God desired for people to be saved. Back then, just like he does now. And here was this man, Noah, who for a hundred years he built this ark. He employed people more, most likely to help him build the ark. And yet they didn't get in it. They were all around it, but they never got on it. And here's the reality. When the heavens opened up, the judgment fell on this earth and destroyed every inhabitant of it. And here's the reality. As that door in heaven opened and the floodwaters came out, there was another door. It was the door on the ark. And there was a voice inside of that ark. Listen to me, church. There was a door inside of that ark that said, Noah, come here. Noah, come here. Come into the ark. It's a picture of salvation. Just like that doorway that opens up in chapter 4 of Revelation. It is a picture of the church leaving this earth, going and being ushered into the presence of God. Just as Noah got into that ark and God shut that door. And I want to tell you, when God shuts a door, you can't open it. And if he opens the door, you'll never be able to shut it. And I'm telling you right now, there is an open door, an opportunity for everybody in the sound of my voice to hear the gospel, repent of their sins, and to be saved. But there is coming a day when the window's going to open and the
the church is going to leave. And Paul wrote the same letter to that church at Thessalonica. He said, for those of you who have heard the gospel and you haven't responded, you'll never respond because God himself will send to you strong delusion that you would believe every lie. You'd buy every one of them that the Antichrist is going to sell you, just like we see folks doing today. I want to tell you the church is leaving. The church is going up. The windows of heaven are going to open. And the judgment and the fire of God is going to come down. Read the book. Read the rest of Revelation. It ain't a place you want to be. It's not a world you want to live in. And my friend, only by the grace of God and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, when that trumpet sounds, I'm going up and I'll meet him in the air. Are you coming with me? Are you coming? Are you awake this morning, church? Are you going in the rapture? Are you going to perish with the rest of the world? I want to tell you, one of two things are going to happen. Because when, that, when we go up and the judgment of God comes down, that great tribulation as God pours out His wrath, there's only going to be one group of people that God's concerned about. And that's the nation of Israel. Isaiah 11, I think it's chapter 11, verse 11. God promised, I'll touch my nation a second time. A new dispensation. Who will be saved in that time? You know what, I, I, I don't know that I can confidently have the answer to that, but I know this, right now you can be saved. I got a lot of questions about over here in Revelation 12 and 13. Man, I do too, but I want to tell you something. You know what Revelation 5 through 22 is there for? The Jews. It's for them. I, I, I'm not going to need it. I won't be here. I'm part of the bride. I'm going up. I won't need it in heaven. Folks, I'm going to be at the wedding supper of the Lamb, and we're not going to be reading the book of Revelation. It's not for us. We're home. This will be left for those when God touches His nation. Folks, that ain't us. Now's the time. Today is the day. Is it reasonable? Is it rational? Yes, it is. God is long-suffering. And God's given us an opportunity to repent. Jesus said, I'm the door. Go through that door. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Heaven is available through the shed blood of Jesus. Are you right with God? Or if you're not, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you so today that you would get right with God. Folks, look around. Look around. This world is changing. And it ain't going back. It ain't going back. The peace is there. They're all on the table. It's being assembled. Are you going to go in the rapture? May it be so. Let's bow our heads, church. With our heads bowed this morning, with every eye closed, Lord, speak to our hearts. God, there's nothing on the timetable.
left that has to take place before the rapture of the church. Father, those in Thessalonica, they believed it was imminent then. And God, think of, if we just think about the world in which we're living in today. Lord, we've taken lawlessness to lower levels than we can imagine. Father, save souls this morning. I know your word says you're not willing that any perish, but the people would come to faith and repentance. God, stir our hearts. Help us to be made right with you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand our feet this morning.